Hello, everybody, and welcome to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. I'm Lena Lahire, certified personal trainer, nutrition coach, best-selling author, and psychology student at the University of Calgary. I'll be discussing topics that range from nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and everything in between so you can feel confident in how to move towards better health physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get into our topic for the day. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode. I have a really great episode planned today talking all about motivation and setting goals for success. Now I don't know about you, but every time September rolls around, I get this new surge of motivation. Now that's partly probably because I am in university and with with September comes a new schedule and a new semester, so that's motivating. But even before university, I have found that when there's a, a shift in seasons, I know we're not in summer, I'm not rushing summer to be over, but when there is a shift in seasons, it's very easy to get this new motivation. And I like to ride the wave of motivation because I know that the waves are not always high, they crash and motivation gets low. So when they are high, I like to take the opportunity to ride those waves as long as I can. So I've been doing a little bit of studying from a psychological perspective on emotion, motivation and setting goals. And it's so interesting. It's one of my favorite topics to discuss which it shouldn't come as a surprise because I was in the fitness, I worked in the fitness industry for 10 years and my job was to motivate people to be healthy and to exercise and working in the nutrition field for the last five years. It's to motivate people to eat healthier. And you have to ask yourself the question, why are some people motivated more than others or seem motivated more than others what drives motivation what keeps motivation high how can people get motivated when they lose motivation these are all questions that psychologists have asked for a very long time you know when we're looking in the sphere of a work setting specifically how do we keep people motivated in their job, um, to be productive, to work harder, but also feel that sense of fulfillment at work because we all have to go to work eventually. Um, If you're a university student now and don't have a job or you're younger and you don't have a job or you're just any age and don't have a job right now, you probably will need a job at some point or have had a job at some point. So how do we stay motivated at work? And then how do we stay motivated in our lives, in our day-to-day lives with our own goals? These are questions that many people have and many psychologists have explored. Specifically, organizational psychologists Edwin Locke and Gary Latham have spent decades studying the effectiveness of setting goals and have found that through more than a thousand studies conducted all over the world, that the goals that are specific and set the bar high for achievement 
result in superior performance than goals that are vague or set the bar too low for achievement. So you would often think like, well, why am I setting the bar so high? Isn't that going to cause me to become demotivated? Well, that's not the case, not what they're not the studies that have shown. So studies have shown that goals need to be both specific and difficult in order for them to result in superior performance. Difficult does not mean unrealistic. You can still have realistic goals, but difficult goals cause you to increase your focus, increase your effort, increase your commitment, and cause you to persist longer. And according to Locke and Latham, setting specific and difficult goals creates a cycle of success and happiness that can repeat itself over and over again, creating what they call a high performance cycle. Now, a lot of the studies that I'm pulling out come from the book called Succeed. It's written by psychologist Heidi Grant Halverson, and it is full of information that is so beneficial. This book has literally like just Reading this book has motivated me so much. This is one of my assigned books for school for this semester in the course called Motivation and Emotion. It's a psychology course. So I will put that in the show notes, how to get a hold of that book and any other studies that I mentioned, I will also put in the show notes for you to have a look at. So what Heidi was doing in this book is looking at how we can reach our goals and things that we do to help us become more successful and understanding ourselves better. Because if we understand what drives us to pursue specific goals, then it gives us that insight gives us more motivation in and of itself. So I want to talk a little bit about what thinking versus why thinking. What thinking is thinking about what you actually need to do to achieve a desired outcome, a specific goal that you have. It is concrete. It's doing something, following steps. An example would be locking a door is putting a key in the lock. It is describing precisely what's going on and what you need to do. If the goal is to lock the door, you need to put the key in the lock. That's what thinking. Why thinking is a little bit more abstract. It's thinking about the bigger picture, the context, what goes on behind why you're doing what you're doing. In this case, locking the door is securing your house. So you're locking the door for a specific reason. It's not about following steps. It's about keeping your house safe. So these are two different ways that we think. And we need to strike a balance between what versus why thinking when it comes to our goals. Once a task becomes easy and familiar, most people start to favor why thinking. They, be, they can become a little bit more abstract in their thinking because they're not so worried about following steps or figuring out what they need to do. But when we have a task that is difficult or unfamiliar, then we often switch to what thinking 
just to get the job done. So we're constantly switching between these two ways of thinking. Now, time also influences our decision and how we think. For example, most people think of their future plans in more abstract terms and emphasize why thinking. Near future plans tend to be more concrete and therefore you'll focus on what you need to get done. So when you're thinking about a vacation that you want to take, you're thinking about all the things that you might like to do, how it's going to make you feel, if that's in the distant future. But if it's in the near future, you're going to be booking airplane tickets and booking hotels and making sure that you have enough money to go on your trip and you're, you're taking all of these steps. So time influences in how we decide to think. What's the difference between the two of them? Because there's pros and cons to each. Why thinking, so bigger picture thinking, leads you to pay more attention to what psychologists call desirability information. That means whether or not taking a specific action will result in an outcome that's desirable. Like I mentioned, when we look at things in our future, we often think about rewards we hope to gain, how they're gonna make us feel. For an example, will going to university make me successful four years from now? But we also need to consider that when we're why thinking, We can sacrifice practical considerations for the potential of reward. And we see this pretty often in, you know, maybe you have a plan to go and do something in the future and you're really excited about it at the time because you've kind of just made that decision on emotions or the rewards that you hope to gain. And as that time approaches closer and closer, you kind of start to dread the decision that you made. And It could potentially be because when you made that decision, you were thinking about the bigger picture of how it might make you feel, but you weren't thinking about the practical considerations of all the steps that you would need to take in order to achieve whatever it was that you're that you're wanting to achieve. What thinking leads you to place more weight on what psychologists call feasibility information, which means whether or not you can actually do whatever needs to be done. For example, what are the steps I need to take to get this project handed in tomorrow? So you can't think about more abstract terms. You don't have time. You need the information right now. While this can be good, some things to consider is when we're what thinking, we can be all business and no pleasure and we miss the bigger picture. In a study conducted by Lieberman and Trope, They gave Tel Aviv University students a choice between two assignments. One was either boring and easy, it was a history of psychology in Hebrew, which was their native language, or interesting but hard, and that assignment was romantic love readings in English, which was more difficult for them. The researchers also varied the due date of the assignments. So one was due either the following week the near future, or nine weeks later, the distant future. They found that students who had to get the assignment in by the following week often chose the easier but boring assignment. 
but that the students whose assignments were due in nine weeks later chose the harder but more interesting topic hands down. And that's just one example of committing to something in the future and potentially dreading it when it comes up because it was probably not easy to convert to English when they are Hebrew. Thinking why is better for more familiar tasks and thinking what is better for more complicated and unfamiliar tasks. So this could be a strategy that you use when you have a goal of something that's more complicated and unfamiliar, you can think of the steps that you need to take in order to get that done. And that can be a lot more motivating. Thinking why is better for more familiar tasks. So when something is more familiar and it comes easier, you can start to think bigger picture. There's always a trade-off. There's pros and cons to each. You just have to pick your strategy to whatever it is your goal is for that time and think about, it. does this goal happen in the near future or is it happening in the distant future and plan accordingly. Being realistic when it comes to setting our goals is so important. Expectancy value theory states that people are more are more motivated to do anything as a function of two things. One, how likely they are to be successful, and two, how much they think they will benefit from it. You have to believe you will succeed if you actually want to succeed, but there's a caveat to that. You also have to be realistic about what it's going to take. And I find this is where people often struggle because if optimism isn't met with realism, when the road gets rough, it's very easy for people to give up. Here's a study that was done, very interesting. So one study had obese women wanting to lose weight and who were enrolled in a weight reduction program. Now psychologist Gabrielle Ottening asked the women to tell her about their expectations for successfully losing weight. The women who thought they would succeed lost an average of 26 pounds than those who didn't believe they would succeed. But here's the interesting part because I'm sure you're like, okay, well, yeah, belief. You just said belief helps you succeed, of course. But the women who imagined their path to weight loss would be easy lost an average of 24 pounds less than those who imagined having a hard time resisting temptation. This has also been shown in a lot of other studies as well. Success happens when we believe it will, but also when we are realistic. So you might be thinking, so I'm just supposed to be negative? Like I thought I'm supposed to think positive and stay positive. There's a difference between being positive and being realistic though. Anytime we set out to achieve something, it's probably going to be difficult because if it wasn't, we probably would have achieved it already. That means we need to be realistic about what it's going to take and the obstacles that we're going to potentially face when we undertake one of these goals. Why would having negative emotions be motivating though? Doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive. So negative emotions can motivate us to take action. They can motivate us to take extra effort 
and plan to deal with problems before they start. It has been shown that people who think the path will be easy don't prepare themselves for the issues they might face and can be easily derailed when times get tough. And trust me, the times get tough. Whenever you have a goal, the times are going to get tough and you're going to be pressed and stretched and shaken. And it's the people that have already kind of prepared themselves for that, who know that that's going to happen, aren't so hard hit when those tough times do come and they're more likely to persist and keep going and put in the extra effort beforehand because they know that these things are probably going to come up. There's a term between imagining attaining your goal and then reflecting on the obstacles you may face that seems to be quite, uh, what's the word, successful with helping people to achieve their goals. And it's called mental contrasting. So that's imagining attaining your goal and then reflecting on an obstacle that you may face. But mental contrasting isn't enough. You actually have to believe that you can achieve a goal for mental contrasting to be effective. So only if you truly believe that you can achieve it, is this an effective strategy to help you be in the right headspace to achieve your goals. Another thing, and you know, this isn't, this isn't the most popular message, but it does fit within this being realistic sphere, you also have to know when to give up and when to abandon your fantasy. If we don't recognize a goal that we have cannot be obtained, we won't make room in our lives for something we can achieve. And you have to know when it's time to say, maybe this goal wasn't ever realistic for me. Maybe it was at a time, but things have changed. Maybe my goals have changed or maybe this just never was meant to be and I need to let this path go in order to make room for something better or for something different. And we have to be able to recognize when that is happening. Let's shift the focus a little bit and talk about how our belief shapes our ability to achieve because belief is one of these things that psychologists love to study. I love to study. I'm a a huge fan of the power of positive thinking. Um, Although there are times for negative thinking as well, just as I had explained. But when we're truly in belief, or as I like to say, faith, then something magical really can happen because it unlocks our ability to achieve things that we never thought we we could without belief. So our beliefs about our ability can influence what we think is possible or what we may be able to realistically achieve. It's also important whether or not you think you can get an ability to achieve something. So we need to have beliefs about our ability, but if we don't have that ability, our beliefs about getting this ability massively impact our ability to achieve. So psychologists call these beliefs implicit theories and they're beliefs about things like 
personality, intelligence, characteristics and qualities that we wish to possess or that we can possess. For example, if you believe something like intelligence is a fixed characteristic or trait that we hold, it cannot be changed, you're born with a certain amount of intelligence, and there's not really much that you can do about it, not knowledge, intelligence, the two are different, then you would be what they call an entity theorist. Now, if you believe intelligence can be acquired and developed through learning and experience over time, then you're what they would call an incremental theorist. In her book, Mindset, which is another fantastic book by Carol Dweck, she elaborates ways in which our beliefs about our abilities to grow and develop shape every aspect of our lives. So let's look at the difference between an entity theorist and an incremental theorist. Remember, entity theorists are people who believe their personal traits are fixed and they can become overly concerned with getting validation from others. An entity theorist has a primary goal of proving themselves. So they set goals that validate something like their intelligence and they don't set goals that are too challenging. They believe that if you have to work hard at something, you aren't good at it and that effort compensates for a lack of ability. Now, an incremental theorist believes that their abilities can be grown. They also don't give up as quick when the going gets tough and they set the bar higher and don't see challenges as threatening, but opportunities to learn and grow. So depending on what kind of theory you resonate more with can impact the way that you achieve your goals or don't achieve your goals. It's also been shown that children that grow up in an incremental learning environment are much more resilient and achieve goals better than children that grow up believing that that they can't, that things are fixed, that there is no room for growth in certain areas because you got what you got. So this impacts the way children learn and respond to their environment when they believe they can grow their abilities. And it also helps them not always seek validation, but they end up focusing more on growing relationships. They're also willing to take more risks that can lead to greater opportunities. That's not just children, it's everyone. So the key to getting smarter Dweck says, is actually believing it's possible for you to do so. The next thing I want to talk about is what your goal looks like. What's the end result? Is your goal to be good at something or is your goal to get better? And there's a difference between these two. When we're looking at being good at something, we're looking at performance goals. So this would entail performing well to demonstrate an ability or having your energy directed at achieving a result. Now, performance goals are often closely tied with our sense of self-worth because we think reaching these goals will give us a sense of validation to which we judge ourselves according to whether we were successful or not. 
Performance goals are characterized by an all or nothing mentality and can be very motivating because there's so much that's riding on the line for performance goals. Performance goals often spawn high achievers, but they can also become less adaptive when the going gets tough. And just like I said before, the going will get tough whenever we are trying to achieve a goal. If the goal is to get better, not simply be good, then this is what we call a mastery goal. Mastery goals focus on progress, strength, and gaining mastery of something. People who are mastery goal focused don't judge themselves as much by whether they achieve a specific outcome, but judge themselves in terms of progress. They are tied to self-worth, but in a different way because they're tied more to self-improvement than they are to validation. And, And these mastery goals are more about becoming the best rather than proving you already are. They can lead to the greatest achievement because people who focus on getting better don't give up as quick. And when you have a mastery goal, you're often not impressed by rewards such as people who are motivated by performance goals. So which one's better? Well, it really depends. It depends on the situation. When you find something easy to do, it's more motivating to focus on performance goals. But like I said, when times get tough and the road gets rocky, it's more advantageous to focus on mastery goals or getting better for two reasons. One, When things get tough, you don't get so discouraged. And two, when you do start to have doubts, you're more likely to stay motivated. And this is something that um, Dr. Heidi Halverson goes more into detail in in her book, Succeed. So again, I'm going to put that in the show notes because it's so valuable and it really does help you kind of compartmentalize. Okay, what are my goals what is my motivation for these goals? Um, And is this motivation really helping me? Psychologist Tori Higgins also says we can look at goals in terms of whether or not we're promotion focused or prevention focused. Promotion focused goals are all about maximizing gains. They look at goals in terms of achievement and accomplishment. Ideally, it's doing the things you would like to do. Whereas prevention focus goals look to minimize losses. And these goals are thought about in terms of safety and danger. They're like fulfilling responsibilities and doing the things you think you ought to do. So one group is motivated more by applause and the other is motivated more by criticism. That might sound a bit weird to you, but just let me explain further. You have to ask yourself, are you wanting an outcome because it will make you feel good or because you have a sense of obligation? Are you more focused on what you have to gain or what you have to lose? Now Higgins argues that human beings are born with the innate desire to satisfy two essential needs, nurturance, which can also be thought of as love and security. He argues that we pursue goals in response to these universal needs. 
if we're promotion focused, we seek love. We try to fill life with positives like love, admiration, rewards, and other pleasures. But when we're prevention focused, we seek security and we try to keep life free from negatives like danger, guilt, punishment, and other pains. We all pursue each at varying times, but depending on whether we are more promotion or prevention minded, we'll have different outlooks on attaining different goals. So where does this promotion, prevention, goal seeking come from? Well, one theory is that it can come from the way that we were parented. So promotion focused parents praise children by showering them with praise and affection when they do something right, but withhold love when they do something wrong. So the child comes to think about goals as opportunities to gain something like love from their parents. And they view the world as a winner's take all kind of mentality. Prevention focused parents may punish the child for doing something wrong and reward them for doing something right by not punishing them. Then the child learns to be anxious when he makes a mistake because he knows he will be punished. He comes to think of his goals in terms of opportunities to avoid losses and has a view of the world of better safe than sorry. And this can vary from culture to culture and family to family. Often it's the Western cultures that seem to be more promotion focused, like the all American dream and more Eastern cultures that are more focused on interdependence and family that um, can be more prevention focused. Each respond differently, depending if you're more promotion focused or prevention focused, each respond differently to different feedback. So for promotion focused people, trying to receive a promotional goal, achievement or accomplishment, is heightened by positive feedback. So the more you see yourself achieving something, the more motivated you become. You seek to be happy and have that high energy kind of feeling that comes with achieving a goal. Think about it, if your goal is to achieve something that makes you happy, you have this high energy when you achieve it. However, if you're seeking a prevention goal, like safety or security, This creates a sense of vigilance, which can increase in response to negative feedback or something like doubting yourself. So when vigilance is your goal, because you're a prevention seeker, prevention goal seeker, then you want more vigilance. And this vigilance increases when you get negative feedback. So if your goal is to avoid loss, positive feedback can actually decrease your motivation because you seek a calm feeling that comes from being safe and secure, which is much more low energy than a promotion focused goal would be. Think about if you're trying to secure your house for your new baby, you're not focused on being happy and having all of these achievements and accomplishments, like you're hypervigilant, securing everything, making sure they can't fall down the stairs, um, rounding every corner. You're hypervigilant because your goal is a prevention focused goal. And you feel that sense of calmness when you know that you've taken the necessary precautions to be vigilant 
which results in safety and security. Optimists and pessimists are very different. So successful prevention goals require us to suppress our optimism. Think about it. When you need to be vigilant about something, like keeping your child safe, you can't afford to be overly confident and say, "Eh, it'll be fine. Let's just do this and have a good time. No, now is not the time for that. You're not going to do that. You are prevention focused. This is what Julie Norum in her book called The Power of Positive and Negative Thinking calls defensive pessimism. So by setting low expectations and thinking things may turn out badly, kicks off a reflective process of mentally playing through the outcomes. This is kind of what I was talking about before when when you're looking at a goal and being realistic and preparing for the negative outcomes or obstacles that you may face, it actually makes you more successful. Well, in defensive pessimism, it kind of is the same thing. When you're expecting that things may turn out, then you're better prepared to handle obstacles when things get thrown at you because you've already prepared for them to go wrong mentally. Realism doesn't strip us of happiness Norum argues, but makes it possible to be happy because we're aware of the situation we're in and what we need to do to change it. This doesn't mean that you need to think the worst of everything. I know that 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 could be, this this could turn cynical real quick and say like, well, I'm just going to expect the worst for everything. And then if it goes badly, I'm prepared. And if it goes good, then I've had low expectations and I'll be pleasantly surprised. I don't think that that's what psychologists are alluding to. However, uh, I think there's a sliver of truth to that. But again, you don't you don't want to live a life of negativity and never thinking that things are going to work out. We need to be realistic, but we also need to be optimistic as well. But this is just this is just an area of psychology that's extremely interesting and something to think about because some people are a little bit more pessimistic and there's there can be power in the way that they think and some people are more optimistic and there can be power in the way that they think and and you know there can be negative consequences to being overly optimistic and negative consequences to being overly pessimistic so it's a It's a difficult balance to strike, to say the least. At the end of the day, you need to find a strategy that fits your goals and your needs. Different things require different attitudes. For the example of securing your house for your child, you want to be more prevention-minded. For, you know, something... Promotion-focused people, you know, they tend to be riskier, and have this this notion of nothing ventured, nothing gained. And they also tend to be more creative and abstract in their thinking. And this is something that prevention people, prevention focused people can miss out on because they're more cautious and want to be sure rather than take a risk. Um, there's pros and cons to each. So you really have to figure out what goal you have and what feels right to you in any situation, whether you want to be more promotion focused or whether you want to be more prevention focused and realize that one is probably going to dominate in most situations over the other because 
It's just who you are. It doesn't mean you can't change, but it could be that that's just your persuasion for whatever reason. The last thing I want to talk to you about when it comes to feeling motivated is the theory of self-determination. This was created by psychologists, termed by psychologists, Edward Decky and Richard Ryan. And they state that all human beings seek three things. We seek more, but seek three things. Relatedness, competence, and autonomy. Relatedness is a desire to feel connected and to care for others. Competence is being able to affect your environment and get the things you want out of it. And autonomy is the freedom to choose and organize your own experiences. We need goals that fulfill these desires and not goals that are superficial. Goals like gaining wealth or fame or just acquiring more things. We often turn to these goals when our needs for autonomy or relatedness and competence are thwarted again and again. So we turn to these superficial goals as a sort of defense mechanism because we think, well, if I can't get love, then I might as well be rich. Or if I can't, you know, have the job that I want or have more responsibility in my job, then I'll just seek this out. So it's kind of a defense mechanism. When our need for autonomy specifically is thwarted, we feel as if we don't have control and then we lose interest in pursuing our goals. Autonomy is something that I have just been introduced to, the importance of it, in the last year. And I see it all the time. You know, if we don't, feel like we have control over our situation or we have this lack of the ability to to organize our lives it really does create psychological unrest autonomy is needed for our psychological well-being because it enables us to internalize our goals and adopt them as our own so we don't always get the opportunity to choose Sometimes you just have to do what you're told. But when we create the feeling of choice, even when that choice isn't really meaningful, it can satisfy our need for autonomy and can nurture our intrinsic motivation, which is the best kind of motivation because it's the desire to do something for its own sake. And this intrinsic motivation is something that most of us really need when it comes to setting goals because we're more likely to stick to them when we believe that we've created them and when we're just doing them because we want to do them not because we're forced to do them think about this in terms of losing weight if you feel forced to lose weight you're probably going to give up you're probably going to resent having to lose weight but if it's a choice that you've made or feel like you've made then you're more likely to stick with it because you've chosen it for yourself you have that sense of autonomy and that's extremely important to feel like you have a choice this is something that I really witnessed with how my 
sister and her husband have raised their children, specifically Ruben, because he is four. Um, Rhea, my niece, is almost a year old, so not quite yet. But they always gave Ruben choices. Even if the choices, like, he still had to do what they told him to do, right? Like, you have to eat. But do you want to eat this or that? Or do you want to put your shoes on now or in two minutes? Do you want to wear a blue shirt or a green shirt? You got to put a shirt on, but which shirt do you want? By giving him a sense of a Sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. By creating the feeling of choice, they're nurturing his need for autonomy. And I know that they um, have listened to some parenting classes. And this is one thing that they suggested. But I don't know if they really understand how profound this is. Because... As adults and human beings in general, we're all seeking this need for autonomy, for relatedness, for competence, and they're satisfying it already. And, you know, he still has to do what they tell him to do, but he has a choice in the matter. And when you have a choice, you feel empowered. And when you feel empowered, you do things, you do things with your life and you feel motivated. And the whole goal is to feel motivated to do things. So I like to to always kind of look back at, take it all back to the health and wellness sphere. When we feel like we have a choice, then we feel powerful. And you can look at this in terms of what's going on with COVID right now, how a lot of our choices have been taken away and we've lost that sense of autonomy and some people have even you know lost it to the degree where they're unable to organize their life because they've lost their job or they've lost a loved one all manner of things and how detrimental this can be moving forward so that's where i'm going to leave it off today because we're almost at 45 minutes Super interesting topic though. I'm going to be talking more about what motivates us, how to stay motivated, but let's just quickly do a bit of a recap. So we talked about what thinking versus why thinking. What thinking is thinking about what you actually need to do. And this is helpful when you have something uh, like a goal that's due in the near future. You need to get done fairly quickly. Why thinking is thinking about the bigger picture. It's more abstract. And this is when something is in the distant future, we can think more in why terms or when something's easy and familiar. Our goals need to be both specific. They need to outline what it is we actually need to do, but they also need to be challenging. They need to be difficult because difficult goals increase our focus, our effort and commitment but we also need to be realistic. Realistic is so important. Remember that people are motivated to do anything as a function of how likely they are to be successful and how much they think they will benefit from it. That's what expectancy value theory states. But we have to be realistic. So you have to believe you're gonna succeed 
but you have to be realistic. Negative emotions can be motivating because they can motivate us to take extra action. And the people who think the path won't always be easy or the people who think the path will be easy don't prepare themselves for issues that they might face. So we also need to do what they call mental contrasting when we need to think about a goal, believe we can achieve it, but then prepare and reflect on the obstacles that we may face. Again, mental contrasting is only effective when we actually believe we can achieve the goal. And you also need to know when it's time to abandon your fantasy. Then we talked about how our belief shapes our ability to achieve and what we believe about our abilities, if they can be changed, meaning more of an incremental theory, or if we believe that they're fixed, more of an entity theory. And it's the people who are in the incremental theorist camp that often um, achieve greater things because we believe that we can always learn and grow. And I definitely sit in the incremental theorist camp, whereas my husband kind of sits in the in the fixed <laughs> or in the entity theorist camp. Then we talked about if your goal is more performance-based or if it's mastery-based. And performance goals can be very motivating, but they can also result in the person being less adaptive when the going gets tough. Mastery goals aren't so much concerned with rewards, but when the going gets tough, they're more likely to stay motivated and not give up because they're more focused on the bigger picture. Then we looked at promotion-focused goals and prevention-focused goals. Promotion-focused, maximizing gains. Prevention-focused, minimizing losses. Depending on the scenario that you're in and the goal that you have, each of those is going to come at varying times. You're probably going to be more dominant towards one than the other. I actually don't know what I'm more of. I'd like to say promotion focus, but there's a there's a big prevention focus in me as well. So it's it's very interesting. Um, and then we talked about the self determination theory and how we're we're we all have these basic needs for relatedness, competence, and autonomy, and we can create autonomy when we have choice and if we don't have choice when we have the feeling of choice and that's uh really important to dissect between the two of them is choice and the feeling of choice aren't necessarily the same but the feeling of choice can have a huge impact so that is all for today Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel on iTunes and please leave me a review so we can get this message of better health out there. Have a great day and remember, you are powerful over your health.